0: You are listening to Training Our Minds to Think God's Thoughts After Him. A podcast by Pastor Ben Bessett. So by way of review, we're going to look at question two. If we have our handout with us, is there a difference between natural law and natural revelation and what we have referred to here as the sensus divinitatis," which is the Latin phrase for the sense of divinity? And on the board right here, this might be an easier way if you want to have a mental framework of how this all gets put together. Natural revelation can be broken down into three categories. It can be broken down into nature itself, history, and human personality. So what we mean by natural revelation is what we see of God from nature. Special revelation is what we have all in front of us. Scripture, the voice of God speaking through the Word of God. Natural revelation is taking a look at nature around us as we looked last week into Romans chapter 1. And when you take a look at nature itself, you see the handiwork of God. History, how do you see history? God working through history. The overall meta-narrative, creation, fall, redemption, glory... And an easy way to see this is with the nation of Israel. Calling Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus coming from the tribe of Judah. We have a historical blueprint. We have a meta narrative in a sense where there is purpose. There is a telos. There is a purpose and a design to what we're seeing in history. That we're not just freely floating over here or going over there, but God has a purpose. Mm-hmm. And he has an intention as to where history is, where we have come from, and where we are going. And third, through natural revelation, we see in human personality that individuals know of God. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, talking about the pagans who had never heard the gospel, though they know God. How is a pagan who has never heard the gospel preach? how do they know God? They know of God because being created in his image, he has implanted that in the human soul. Every human being knows of God. No, they don't know him personally. And the example we made last week is if you have an author of a book, you know of the author. You've read their book, but you haven't ever met the individual themselves. So you don't know the person themselves, but you know of And the pagans in Romans chapter 1 know of God, which is what we refer to, and Calvin refers to this in his institutes as the sense of divinity. Alvin Plantinga today, in his books, the sense of divinity, he writes on this as well, that people have the knowledge or the awareness of God. And the example we used last week is when a heroin addict gets brought in off the streets and they throw him in the cell for 30 days to detox and he's about to die. How many times I've heard the testimony of somebody going through strong detox on the verge of death, crying out to God at that moment. Somebody who never went to church. Somebody who never even thought about the Bible. Knowing of God because they're knowing that they're about to face their death. What happens? The sense of divinity comes out then. The understanding and the awareness of God. And thirdly, we have natural law. So natural revelation we see in nature Natural law is what we see written on the human heart. And in the voice article that I wrote for this month and going to be for the following four months, we're going to take a look at how natural law fits into society into culture. So for instance, Japan, mostly a Buddhist nation, very ancestral, ancestral, not a Christian nation, so they don't have pretty much the Bible. As we do in our, for the foundation of our constitution. So, because they don't have special revelation, when you look over at Japan, you would think, okay, they don't have the word of God, so therefore are they in utter chaos? Are they just anarchy all over? No, there's order, there's structure. Where is that coming from? The order and the structure, right and wrong, to do good, not evil, to help, not to harm, those principles. They don't have scripture, they don't have Exodus 20 highlighting the law of God. They don't have the two greatest commandments read every Sunday like we do at church. But yet they're following natural law, God's moral law written on the heart of the individual. So every human being is an image bearer of God. They're created in God's image and they reflect this morality because it's written on their hearts. Romans 2, 14-15, Paul's making this point. The Gentiles without the law... The Gentiles without the Ten Commandments, without the voice of God in front of them, in the Word of God, they still have it written on their hearts. And the fact that they follow this every day is evidence that they are created in God's image. Because if we were just brain tissue and chemicals, we would only do what's in our brains. But every human being universally follows natural law. In the example I used last week, when Becky came um, up front and gave her testimony about the pregnancy resource center, and the lady coming in to have an abortion, and on the ultrasound she sees the twins, and she changes her mind. Well, what's going on in her heart when she sees that natural law? Wow, look at this. This is beautiful. I can't. How can I? So she changed her mind and didn't have the abortion. So it's natural law written on the human heart. So we see this threefold, natural revelation, natural law, the sense of divinity, all of this. So when we're thinking of human nature and we're in, when we're evangelizing somebody, we have these hooks, so to speak. The um, way that we want to do this, there's my eraser. Everybody got this written down. So when we're evangelizing, and as our culture begins two, three, four, five generations from any concept of scripture, natural revelation, natural law, and the sense of divinity. So when we step outside a church, and now we're interacting with the world around us, do we have common ground with the world around us when we talk about the gospel? Yeah. We don't have neutrality. Because if you're spiritually dead, you're at enmity with God, but you still have common ground in the sense that you can talk about nature, where you can talk about natural law. And natural law really defined is it is to do good and to shun evil. Everybody pretty much, unless you've really hardened your conscience, even the hardened conscious person could still follow that because they're not hard in every single aspect. But these are hooks. These are common ground that we can then use to bring to Scripture. How so? Ask a person, is it morally wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being? Is it morally wrong... To intentionally kill an innocent human being and most people will be like well yes it is well then the question is as to why where does morality come from and in today's social engineering we're tra- being trained to taught that it's just a convention <laughs> that this people group over here believe morality to be this this people group over there believe it to be that but actually morality is universal So if you were to go into India and ask them, is it morally wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being? Nine times out of ten, yes. Same thing in China, same thing in Iceland, same thing in Australia, same thing in Michigan. Where does this universal concept of morality come from? If we're all just chemicals in our brains, we're all only going to believe what's in our brain. But morality transcends our brain. Morality is universal. It's written on the fabric of our very human nature. It is immaterial. So if a morality is immaterial, and morality is rational, we need an immaterial, rational source for morality. It couldn't come from matter. It can't come from the chemicals in our brain. It can't come from a random explosion... 15 billion years ago, and it can't evolve out of matter. So nature itself cannot account for morality. Nature itself cannot account for mathematics, the laws of logic, the immaterial laws that govern the universe. So now what we can do is we have to figure out where our culture is, or actually better yet, where the individual sitting in front of you is that you're talking to. And I'm assuming most people today are going to have a naturalistic worldview, that we're nothing but matter, from the Big Bang, from evolution, random chance. They may have never thought that through, but that's going to be the general worldview coming out of our education system. And with the surrounding media continually pushing this worldview on us, generally, this is what you're going to run into is somebody who has more of an agnostic, atheistic kind of mindset. And what we want to do is take the common ground that we have and the connecting principles. Okay, so now, this is where we come over to this side of the board. We as Christians argue for the necessity of God, that He is infinite, that He is the unmoved mover. How do we do this? If C exists because of B, and B exists because of A, but you don't have know anything at all about A, then you have no justification for B and C. What do I mean? If humanity exists because of the Big Bang and evolution. Then you ask your question, ask the question, okay, so then where did the matter, the energy, time, space, how did all of that come into existence? So if we are the result of the Big Bang, but the Big Bang now, okay, so why does reason exist? Why does logic exist? Why does morality exist? Why does anything exist at all? That would be here. But if you have no explanation for A, you can't account for B and C. Let's read it again. If C exists because of B, and B exists because of A, but if A doesn't exist, if God doesn't exist, then you have no justification for B and C. They're working on it. Yeah, that's what they say. Oh, we're, we're the, Richard Dawkins in his British accent will work. I can't do it. But we're working on that, which means they have faith in humanity. Okay, if you want faith in humanity, is that science? That's religion. They claim us being dogmatic. They claim us being narrow-minded. And they are scientific. Everything that they have an answer for is scientific. Really? What about that? You can't account for A. Science can't account for for anything immaterial. Because if you're a materialist, everything has to come from material. So then where do the natural laws or the um, immaterial laws that govern matter come from? Oh, they evolved from matter. Oh, okay, so matter came first, and then the immaterial laws evolved from material matter. But matter needs these laws in order to govern it and function it like it does. Oh, yeah, okay, the laws came first but everything is matter. How do you account for the immaterial laws? So when you have these, natural revelation can be a very good tool. A, for showing that the atheist or the naturalist or the Scientologist, or not Scientologist, um, Scientism, those who hold to those views, the foundation they're standing on, they can't account for. Then we're not saying the atheist can't account I mean, we're not saying the atheist can't be logical. We're not saying they can't be moral. We're saying they can't account for it. They can't account for it. They can be it, but why are you being this way? Why does every human being function this way? Natural law. Every human being is limited to its essence. Human essence is moral. Why is human essence moral? Morality is immaterial. If we're nothing more than the neurological functions in our brain, how do you account for the universality of human morality? And humans, knowing they fall short, so they know there's an absolute standard. They know gossip is wrong. They know murder is wrong. They know coveting is wrong. They understand that if they have an affair, that's wrong. Where is that coming from? It just can't be a social construct. A lady who just wrote a book... Her first name is Abigail. It's the last name's French name. I can't pronounce it. She was a very, uh, she was a gender studies teacher at her college. And she asks her students, she says, when you're born, are you born with sexual preference, sexual desire? I mean, is that inherent in you? And they all said, yeah. But today we're being taught through postmodernism that. Sexuality is a construct that's just imposed on you. Well, how can you be born with it, and then at the same time, it's a construct that's They both can't be. We, by nature, recognize that by birth we have these things because we're created in God's image. We know, even the human being without a Bible knows, it is wrong to rape, it is wrong to steal, and that's a universal concept, and those who do those things are punished in other cultures. So the question we want to ask when we are stepping outside the church and talking to somebody and using uh, natural revelation as common ground, now we bring them back to the gospel. And we say God is purely, he's pure. There's no darkness in him at all. He is the source of everything good. Why does evil exist? Because we have morally rebelled against God. goes back to the fall, literal Adam, literal Eve. In Genesis 3, the fall brought sin and death into the world. So the reason why there is suffering is because we have rebelled against the very God who has created us. Now you start from creation, fall, and like we heard this morning, redemption, and then glory. Do you see how the four key aspects work its way after we've established that by natural law, it just shows these things to be self-evident? So over here again, if we exist because of the Big Bang and evolution, but we can't account for why there is matter, why there is energy, why there is morality, why there are eternal laws, you know nothing about it at all, you have no justification for what you believe. Or if God doesn't exist, we can't exist at all. So let me show you this. Last week we went over this. Was it Josh or was it um, Joe? I can't remember Asked the question. (laughs) Why can't matter be eternal? Why can't everything that exists just always have been like this? Um, The law of entropy? Yeah. So we have less energy than we did yesterday. Which means there was a time when we had more than we do now, which means it's winding down, so there had to be a time by which it all started. You can use the second law of thermodynamics. You can probably have more of a scientific mind than I do. I, I like to go more to the philosophical side. It's easier for my brain, but some people are smart. Yes, so the second law of thermodynamics really can. Because, for instance, evolution teaches chaos brought order. When I look at my lawn in the summer, it doesn't naturally cut itself. It doesn't... Just wait for it. Just wait for it? <laughs> <laughs> They're working on it. They're working on it. Because... well my wife isn't working on it so it's gonna have to be me right so she admits it but i have to cut the grass i have to spray roundup around my house otherwise it just yeah (laughs) so you get my point with chaos has to i have to bring order to chaos intelligence has to come in and bring order to chaos. Otherwise, how about my roof on my house? When I moved in, I had to have a new roof put on. The sun beats down everything. Look at our parking lot. Over time, everything breaks down. So chaos does not produce order. Things start in order and then drift to chaos, which means they have to be brought back into order again, which the second law of thermodynamics, that's... So if you think of it, if you're a tradesman, you can be thankful that the second law of thermodynamics is here because... You repair things that break. You order them, and then they go to chaos. Evolution teaches the opposite. Now, evolution, you start with irrational, meaning there is no reason. Everything is matter. So then how does irrational matter randomly floating through the world, through the universe, create order, create design, create purpose, create intentionality? See, these are easier concepts. I'm not a science person, but if you can explain this scientifically, great. But these are just very basic concepts that really question the status quo of our time, and really, it, it, they, they don't, have, they can't account for it. But when you look at God, why is God a necessary being? Because so. On my way home from Louisville three weeks ago, I saw all kinds of cars in the ditch. One time, I saw this car over here, and then he was over here, and then the semi over here, and the cop he was in the ditch too, and then this car over here. So if we if we put one, two, three, four, five. So if you're going to investigate the crime scene, and you're going to come up and you're going to try to figure out, okay, so the cops slid in the ditch, which caused this car to go into the middle lane, which he hit him, hit him, and hit him. So there had to be an efficient cause, a first cause that started this whole accident. If the cop didn't slide into the ditch, two, three, four, and 5 would have kept going on and there would have been no accident. There had to be a starting point for the accident to occur. If there's no starting point, it can't exist. Same thing with matter. If something didn't create matter, it couldn't exist. Non-being cannot produce being. Something that doesn't exist can't produce something that exists. You need to have the first cause. So now when we get into God's attributes, that God is infinite, that God is eternal, that God is unchangeable, there has to be an infinite, eternal, unchangeable source because if there is anything in him that is limited, then he is dependent upon something else. And if what created him is limited in any way, then they are dependent upon something else. And you keep going all the way back, infinite regression, you have nothing. So all analogies break down at some point. There would have been no accident unless there would have been that first car that moved. There would be nothing that exists today unless there was a first, what's known as an efficient cause that brought it all into existence. So what I'm trying to say is, this can't happen on its own. This can't be, an accident cannot be produced without an efficient cause bringing it into existence. So matter cannot be eternal because it cannot create itself. Non-being cannot produce being. Okay, so then what type of being do we need in order for anything to exist? Somebody who's infinite, somebody who's eternal, and somebody who's unchangeable. And that's exactly who the God of the Bible is. Because if there's any limitation in him, then he's dependent upon somebody else, and they're dependent upon somebody else, and you have infinite regression, which means it never comes into existence to begin with. So we have to have an infinite, eternal source. You have a question? Yeah. Any questions on any of this part? This was a review from last week. I roads are caused by Yeah, but the icy road doesn't cause the accident. That's what's known as the antecedent cause. So if the cop would have put down his donut, he wouldn't... (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh So then, look at question one then. How would you articulate the difference between natural revelation and special revelation? Now that we know what they both are, how would you... Distinguish those. Nature and Bible. Which one's which? You see there in yep. Bible is, yep. Is, natural revela- is special revelation from God? Is natural revelation from God? Yeah. They vote, everything's from God, right? But here's what's happening is in our culture today, I think what's been going on is the culture from the outside has been working its way in. So we have the church here, and then we have the culture. And if you look at the Reformation, when people started coming over, we had a Reformation base pretty much when our culture started here in America. Now, I know we had other offshoots in that, but that God was the source, and when the Puritans came over and their education system was all based upon The reality of God as creator, his word, special revelation, all of that was brought into the curriculum. But as God was taken out of our curriculum and naturalism has taken over, now natural law is being reinterpreted, not as God's creation, but as a product of evolution of the Big Bang. Human nature is being reinterpreted. We are not any longer an image of God with a composite body soul. Rather, what we are now are chemicals in our brain. We're robots, we're machines. So as you see, the naturalistic worldview is now just taking what our culture had from Scripture and it's replacing it now with its own understanding of humanity. So reality is being reinterpreted. Knowledge is being reinterpreted. Morality is being reinterpreted. No longer do we have absolutes from God. Now what we have is relativism. What's good for you is for you. What's good for me is for me. So everything that the Bible and everything that was founded upon scriptural values is being reinterpreted and it keeps inching closer and closer and closer and closer to the church where it's not being done militarily. It's being done through our institutions. Our institutions are now being converted into atheism or into secularism where they always had or for a general sense had a Christian base coming from Europe resulting from The Reformation. So when we look at politics, it's downstream from what has already taken place spiritually. That there has to be a change of mind to go from a biblical foundation to a naturalistic foundation. And then when the naturalism takes over, then eventually you'll see it come out in the politics. So it doesn't start with politics. Politics is downstream. It starts with evangelizing the gospel, and we're not doing it for politics' sake. We're doing it for the salvation of souls. And I think in our culture today, we are so occupied with what's going on in the news that, well, we've got to fix this, we've got to fix that, we've got to fix this. This just didn't happen overnight. The atheists and the naturalists have been playing the slow game, not just in America, but in Europe, coming over here. Those ideas came from there. They've been playing the slow game. So we're not doing this just for the sake to save America. If America falls, I'm still evangelizing just as hard as tomorrow as I am today because it's for the kingdom of God. So we want to make sure we have the right understanding, the right motivation, and the right foundation as to when we go out and evangelize, it's not for the sake of showing somebody where they're wrong politically. You can use that as common ground, but then bring that, bring the politics to the gospel. Why do we believe as Christians that abortion is murder? Because at conception to the grave, a human being in their very essence is human. It doesn't become human at birth. It doesn't become human at the third trimester. The individual inside the womb is a human being at conception, an image bearer of God, not a clump of cells. So you see how we can take common ground or how we can take something that we disagree on and then take natural law, take natural revelation, take of the sense of divinity within the individual and preach to that. So we have bridges to go from here to there, but we're always staying on the biblical principle. We're never compromising that. So the third question then on the sheet, how would you use natural law in answering the question about what happens to people who die who have never heard the gospel? Ever been asked that question? What happens to the individual who's never heard the word of God when they die? And it's a very sensitive question. A lot of people have a a strong reaction to this. So how would you use natural law in answering the question that what happens to people who die who have never heard the gospel? Yes. Creation in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, Romans 2, verse 14 through 15 The moral law of God being written on the heart of the individual. So you have creation around you. Secondly, you have the law of God written on your heart. So because you have those two things, and what does the Bible say they do with that knowledge? It convicts you, and when they're convicted, what do they do? Do they repent? They reject it by suppressing it. So they understand, wow, they have those moments of clarity where everything that they've been taught was wrong, and they understand, well, God really does exist. This just can't happen. I, I feel it in here. No, no, no. They go back to like what Sigmund Freud would say. Well, if you're feeling feeling guilty and convicted, just change the standard. <laughs> that's not wrong because of this. Try to rationalize it away to get rid of that guilt. Or, no, scientists, boy, there's so many scientists here who say evolution is true, that how, how, how can it be false? And that's the logical fallacy of trusting the expert rather than... And that's, they know this, too. How many human beings, when they hear a lie, go out and research it? Rather, what do they do? Well, he's got a PhD behind his name. Can't be wrong, right? I mean, he studied this stuff thoroughly. If you're trusting the expert rather than trusting the information or taking this back now and thinking these things through, that's why when uh, Robert Funk with the Jesus Seminar back in the uh, 20th century had 83 scholars vote uh, as to whether Jesus said what he said in the Gospels. And he said, who's going to disprove me? I had 83 scholars. Argue with that. I have 83 scholars saying that Jesus didn't say most of what he said in John. So you can't refute me. See, so see how he's thinking. He's building his, his basis upon the fact that he had experts. And that an expert testimony can't be wrong or expert testimony has to be true. But it's not. It's based, What is knowledge based upon? Justified true belief, not expert opinion. So we see here in Romans 1 is you have natural revelation. Romans 2, you have natural law. Paul is saying through the Holy Spirit that that in itself convicts an individual and they are accountable before God. Got time for one more. Question four. What's what we've been doing? How can natural law be used in evangelism? I think we pretty much hit that one on the head. Question five. What are some differences between natural law and human reason? Can human reason save a person if used in conjunction with natural law? Yes. If a person grows up on an island in Polynesia and never hears the gospel, what saves? Natural revelation or special revelation? So faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of Christ. Faith doesn't come by means of natural revelation. Natural revelation can't save you. If natural revelation could save you, you wouldn't need to preach the gospel. They go before God condemned. Never knew. They did know. Never they, did know. Never knew. they did know. Romans 1.20, they knew God. Sensus divinitatis, he puts himself right on the human soul. And then they suppress that. They willfully rejected the God who they see in creation, who they know in their hearts. And that is enough to condemn somebody. If we, if natural revelation saved people, we wouldn't need to send missionaries. We have to bring special revelation. This is what saves. Thank you for listening to the Training Our Minds podcast by Pastor Ben Bessett. If you enjoyed listening, please follow and share this podcast with others. We appreciate your feedback. So leave a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. Thank you, and we'll see you on the next episode.